Republic of Two by Linda Lapin Katie, no, no. Oh, it's so dark on those stairs. No, uh, please, uh, be careful. Uh, What a nightmare. Oh God. It's half past seven. Uh, I'm late and uh, Mrs. Wolf is coming to see Katie at eleven. Oh, how can I possibly get everything done before she arrives? Oh God, Katie, you'll be furious. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, now where did I put my overall? Um... Good morning, Katie. Did you sleep well? Goodness, Ida. <coughs> Goodness, Ida. Do you know what time it is? And no, not well. My sciatica. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I'll bring your breakfast tray at once. I'm not really very hungry, Jones. Just a half slice of toast and a cup of tea will do nicely. <laughs> the doctor said eggs. Eggs, butter, cream and fruit. You must eat to keep up your strength if you're going to hold up on our trip back to France next week. Back to France indeed. All right, Jones, an egg. But look sharp. It's nearly eight o'clock. I'll be receiving Virginia in my studio, so you'll need to have the room in ship shape by half past nine if I'm going to get any writing done before she comes. Oh, and you must hide all my medicine bottles. I want everything to be perfect. Virginia is so fussy and particular and posh, you know. Well, she may be posh, but she isn't always so particular. Whatever do you mean? Last week, when she was here, I saw she had safety pins stuck in her skirt to keep her hem from unravelling. And after she left, I found a handkerchief wadded up and pushed down between the cushions of the armchair where she'd been sitting. <laughs> How horrible of you to notice such things about my friends. How do you know it was her handkerchief and not one that belonged to Jack or someone else? It was embroidered with the initials VW. It was a bit frayed along the edges and didn't look very fresh. Nonsense. Virginia has a whole house full of servants to see to her needs, like mending hems and laundering handkerchiefs, while I only have you. You know, Katie, you are my best friend in the world, and I would do anything for you, even mend a hundred hankies so you'd never be without a fresh one. Um, that is, if you ask me to. <laughs> Luckily, I don't own a hundred hankies. Enough silly talk. Please bring me my breakfast. And mind you don't burn the toast. Jack can't stand the smell of charred toast wafting up the stairs. I promise this time I'll be more careful. Safety pins in her hair. <laughs> it's just like Virginia. Mustn't burn the toast. Uh, mustn't burn the toast. Um, 
That can't be the milkman. It's, it's not Thursday. Uh... Yes? Flowers for Mrs John Middleton Murray, two Portland Villas. Yes, that's us. Uh, thank you. Here's something for you. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, what beautiful yellow roses. They're from Lady Otterline. Oh, I've just put one on Katie's breakfast tray. Oh, the toast! Oh, the toast! Oh, oh goodness. What a relief. It's not burned. <laughs> now for the tea. And here we are. Who was that at the door? Roses from Lady Otterline. I'll put them in your studio straight away. Roses? Again? She's so kind. Help me with these pillows, will you? Will that do? Thank you, Jones. This is perfect. Yellow rose and all. Shall I pour your tea? No, thank you. I'd, uh, I can do it myself. Do you need help getting dressed today? <laughs> Heavens, I am not an invalid. And I can still feed, wash and dress myself. Thank you. Get on with your chores now. Just ring if you need anything. Thank you. Ida. Yes? Has Jack already gone out? He... He hasn't peeked in to say good morning yet. He probably didn't want to wake you. I believe he had an early tennis date and will be lunching out. <sighs> oh, that's right. A date with Brett. I'm sure she looks smashing in her short white skirt, lashing her legs about. Well, I can only creep. Katie, you shouldn't think such things. Brett's your friend and Jack would never. Wouldn't he? He has before. I don't know. You're right, though. Jack is a man. And a man's a man all over. A consoling thought. Leave me now, Ida, and let me finish my breakfast. And do comb your hair, Jones. You look frightful. At last, a few moments alone with my thoughts. What lovely roses. I cannot write unless I have fresh flowers around me. They remind me of how quickly everything fades. Now, where is my notebook and pen? One precious hour for my diary before Virginia arrives. One precious week before I leave London again. With all my affairs still to be put in order, tickets, clothes, trunks, books, Ida shall have to see to all that. And then I shall be writing my will. But I won't tell Jack. Not until it's done. How I shall miss this room. The only real studio I've had in years. The only real writing table. 
In Chancery Lane, Jack and I used packing crates as desks. <laughs> and all last year in Italy and France, I wrote in bed. Or on the sofa with a tray propped on my knees. <laughs> Two years. I cannot bear to think of leaving Jack for such a long time. It was so hard to break the news to him last week. We were downstairs on the pink chintz sofa and he asked. So what did the doctor say today, Catherine? He said I must go away for two years in order for my lungs to heal, to dry out. That's the phrase that he used, as if my lungs were sopping salt-encrusted sponges lying on a beach. I, I can't bear the idea of having to live apart from you again. I don't want to go away. I don't want to leave you, but the doctor says that unless I winter in a different climate, I will never get better. Well, you must get better, so you must go, even though it's so painful for us both. Do you think I will be cured? Of course you will. And can't you come with me? At least for the first weeks, until we're settled. You know I can't come with you now, darling. I... I have this house to look after, my writing and editing and, and my lectures starting in Oxford in the autumn, but I will be there for the holidays. And Ida will be going with you, we agreed on that. Yes, Ida will be with me. What would I do without Ida? Hampstead Heath! Watch your step getting off, madam. Thank you. What a crush of people today. It's a perfectly splendid day for an outing. How delightful to escape Richmond for a morning and traipse about the city all alone, floating free like a hawk above the down. Walking in London can be just as invigorating as walking in the country, if not even more so. Here near the heath the air is so fresh. That must be why Catherine chose to live here, for her lungs. They say she's extremely ill this time. Poor woman. And she must go away again to avoid the English winter. Doubtless this will be my last visit for some time. Madam, stand back from the curb, away from the motor cars. Such traffic today, even up here on quiet Hampstead. The streets are getting dangerous. Oh, I meant to bring her flowers, then thought I might buy them on the way, but I had forgotten that there's no florist near her house. I see only a tea shop and a draper's, where I suppose Catherine buys those purple gloves of hers. Now it looks safe for me to cross. Oh, I do hope it will be just the two of us, Catherine and myself, and that Murray won't be there today. I simply can't talk to him the way I can talk to her. I find him and his book reviews increasingly tiresome and hostile. But Leonard says he will be lecturing at Oxford before long. Awful man! Catherine I can bear, despite that scent she wears sometimes, like a civet cat, and all her painting and posing. But Murray can be so mute and dull unless the subject is his own work. I suppose he's dreadfully upset about Catherine having to go away. Not too upset, perhaps. They say he's been having an affair, but I mustn't let gossip interfere with my real feelings about them. And with what matters... The way I can talk to her is no one else about writing. Not even Tom Elliot. 
Why is it that I can't make up my mind about those two? Do I despise, respect, or pity Murray? How much do I actually care for Catherine? More than I wish to admit. Her recent book has been such an extraordinary success, yet when I read it, I felt she was done for. I had to rinse my mind afterwards as its odour permeated my thoughts. Admittedly, the stories were clever. Too clever, perhaps. With cheap effects. Poor soil her mind is, laid over rough rock. And that review she published of my novel, Night and Day, claiming that I was unscarred by the war. How hurtful. How untrue. If only she knew what I've been through, and how much alike we really are. And yet that last story she published, there was really something to it. Hers is the only writing I've really been jealous of. When she goes, I shall miss her terribly. I shall miss those probing, dark eyes. Ah, here we are. Two Portland villas. I suppose Catherine's shadow, the inscrutable Miss Baker, or is it Miss Jones, will be hiding in the kitchen. I've never quite understood her relationship to Catherine. Not quite a lady's companion, certainly not a maid. A poor relative, perhaps? Without prospects? Even her name is a mystery. She seems to have a number of aliases, like a criminal or a fugitive. But such devotion is rarely seen. I wonder how Catherine puts up with it. Hello, Mrs. Wolfe. Do come in. Katie is expecting you. Thank you, Miss Jones. <laughs> Baker. The name is Baker. Katie! Your guest is here. Just go on up to the studio, Mrs. Wolfe. Thank you. Catherine? Hmm? Oh, Virginia, do come in. Uh, sit here on the sofa. Please, please don't get up. I'm not interrupting your work, I hope. No, I was just scribbling in my diary... How are you feeling today, Catherine? <laughs> as well as can be expected. My sciatica is like a snake squeezing me in its coils, and that old cough of mine is like a big black dog that follows me everywhere. Oh, I do sympathise. I, I sometimes see jellyfish outside of the window when my migraines are coming in. What lovely flowers. Ottilin sent them today. A parting gift. So you are off next week. Yes, this time to France, to a, a villa by the sea where I shall take tea on the terrace with a country doctor once a week to discuss the progress of my disease. You must get well. Yes, I must. I shall be away for two years. I can hardly believe it myself. Last year in Italy, I was so lonely. Murray... Won't be with you? Not till the holidays. I suppose it will be a sort of exile for you, just as I feel exiled in Richmond, even though London is 
near, and friends often come to visit. Leonard even lets me go to parties as long as we return home before midnight, but at times one longs to be in the stir of things and not always on the edge of them. Not I, Virginia. The stir of things consumes me. I am happier when I can live only for my writing, with nothing to distract me except my own moods. Writing is a great soother and consolation, don't you find? The dark underworld of creation is full of fascination, but also terror. You know, when I'm away travelling, lying sleepless in a strange hotel, I sometimes amuse myself by telling stories and inducing a sort of waking dream. I curl up on my right side and lift my left hand to my forehead, as if praying. And suddenly, I am elsewhere. It's all so intensely real. It is a summer evening, and I go down to the wharf, and I breathe in the smell of fish and brine, and I overhear the conversations of the sailors and the disembarking passengers, and it is... It's all so vivid and realer than life. Then I reach for a pen and I must rush to get it all down before it fades away. Katie, I have brought your coffee. Just leave the tray here on the desk. I'll do the pouring. I'll be in the kitchen if you need anything. Thank you, Jones. Cream? Sugar? Yes, please. Here you are. Miss Baker, Jones, is such a devoted companion to you. Ida is what every woman needs. A wife. A wife, you say? I mean, she looks after me as if I were a man. My clothes, our meals, the housework, even my hair. I could never see to all that and write. Though (laughs) her typing could be improved. She types for you too. All my manuscripts. I don't know how I'd get anything done without Ida. I have a project, you know. I shall be keeping a writer's diary while I'm away. It will record the process and phases of my work. It it won't be one of those whining accounts of personal dejection. No, that burned all of those years ago. It will offer a glimpse into the secret laboratory of the writer's craft. I will send it to you to read, but you must promise to keep a similar diary and send it to me. Why, I don't know that you'd make much of mine. It's like a mad woman's dream or a deep drawer in an old desk where I collect shreds and scraps of my daily impressions, things I've read, snippets of letters which I later jumble together in obsessive experiments. I take my diary up at odd moments of the day, coming in from a walk or sitting by the fire after tea. Writing for one's own eyes loosens the ligaments. I I just try to capture my mood as it comes on without playing the censor. For me, it is the same. An exercise in scales and harmonics, but that's what makes it real. It must be real to have any value. It must be dead true. But will you be writing with a reading public in mind? Yes. The publisher, Methuen, has told me that they'd be interested in publishing such a book. Methuen? Most respectable. But won't that falsify things? I mean, presuming a public. 
Can it remain dead true, as you say, in such circumstances? Don't we always presume the presence of an external reader, other than ourselves, when we write? Mm, perhaps we do. I often wonder whom I'm addressing when I fill a blank page, and who looks back when I gaze into the mirror. It's as though one were hesitating on a threshold between one world and another, between oneself and another. I have not one, but many selves, mumbling in sea caves. We have the same job, Virginia. We are probably the only two women in England whose books are worth reading. Our little revolution will topple the stodgy dons and hoary bearded critics forever. We must both do our part. The only two women in England? Surely an exaggeration. Still, with you I share an ease, an interest so unlike what I find with other women, even clever ones. I seem to find an echo. I suppose it's because you care so much about writing, though so differently than I. Oh, heavens, is, is that the time? Oh, I promised Leonard I'd be back before two. I shall miss you. A kiss, Virginia. Before we part for who knows how long. It's... it's been lovely. I think of you as a dear, dear friend. Don't stand there smiling enigmatically, keeping all your secrets to yourself. <laughs> don't believe all the gossip they say about me. I don't spend my time seducing men on trains or stealing other women's hats. I'm much too proud. Rather... Think of how rare it is to have someone like me for a friend. Another writer like yourself who wants to be completely honest with you. I shall miss these conversations. Very well, then. I shall send you my diary. We shall be our own public of two. In A Public of Two, Ida was played by Alice Gold, Catherine by Alicia O'Donnell, Murray by John T. O'Callaghan, and Virginia by Rosie Beach. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The script was written by Linda Lappin and is an adaptation of her novel, Catherine's Wish. This has been a Yorick Radio production.